Greetings and welcome to another installment of the Church in Science. This is seven in our series, and this time around we're going to power on with uh, a sermon titled today, Open Quote, You'll Have to Wait Till the End, Close Quote. And don't even ask me what end I mean. Is it the end of the sermon? Is it kind of the abstract? I just don't have a title for the sermon. Uh, it has been, uh, I think, becoming very popular, and maybe you've heard this, I've heard it now a few times just over the past couple of years, in self-help doctrine or life coach doctrine, um, to advance the admonition, the caution, that one of the biggest mistakes a person can make is to take their religion too seriously. And this is a very obviously has a lot of sort of secular sort of right, real secular sort of flavor to it. Uh, but I would like to profess to everybody here and now and anyone who might be listening uh, on the podcast later um, that I agree. I actually agree with that statement and I agree with it passionately. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make nowadays is to take their religion too seriously. I heard Vernon McGee, the late Vernon McGee, um, I can't remember when he passed away, but he has uh, sort of um, immortalized many of his sermons. He was one of the, he thought ahead, uh, where he has a chronicle of many of his sermons, very influential preacher, of course. Um, and so when I say I listened, I heard his sermon, this was recently, but uh, this was a sermon that he gave many, many years ago. And in this sermon, he said uh, something like, one of the hardest groups of people to teach God's word to are regular churchgoers. And I thought, well, that's a great quote, actually, for today's sermon. Uh, you know, when I heard it, it's like, oh, that's perfect. But then it wasn't a couple minutes later into his sermon where he said something like, a good Christian must love his Bible, which confused me because in my mind that sort of contradicted what the point he would just seem to be trying to make to me. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> churchgoers go to church with their Bible, right? Church, Bible, clear and well-known articles of the Christian religion. So what is a church? Let's deconstruct a little bit here, okay? A building, okay? Uh, a building in our particular case, a building that we had uh, an issue actually entering this morning, but we all worked together, teamwork, got into the building, and now we're all comfortably ensconced in here. Uh, and uh, so, but what kind of, it's a special kind of building. It's not any kind of building. You, we usually think of as a church as being associated with some sort of iconography, right? What sort of iconography do we think of? Well, a cross, right? You put a cross up on that building somewhere, and someone who looks at that building, looks at the building, they see the cross, and they think to themselves, now this is a place where members of the Christian religion congregate. And then the next thing, uh, maybe a passerby or an observer will think to themselves is that, well, if it's not Sunday, the building is probably unoccupied. The Bible. Bible, right? Nowadays, a practitioner of the Christian religion may own two or three or more copies of the Bible. And then, of course, as we all know, the web, uh, digital media has uh, made owning many different translations, call them versions of the Bible, accessible just on our smart device. Church and Bible. Two key ingredients of the Christian religion. Here's another one. I think more sublime. Uh, a zeal for faithfulness to Christ. I mean, who is going to argue with that, right? A zeal for faithfulness to, for, to Christ. 
right? I mean, that's just that's big money stuff. I mean, you can't argue with that. Even less arguable, uh, I would say, is just simply a profession of the a belief in God, right? So we've got some ingredients here. Okay, we start with a part of a Sunday in a building with a cross on it, uh, add a Bible or two or more. Um, and uh, if you really want to seal the deal, one of those ixtis, the ixti, the fish, don't see them much anymore on the back of people's cars, you know, the fish. And I could do the Greek, but I'm not going to struggle with it here. But um, I don't know why they're as, well, maybe I do know why they're not as popular as they used to be. But, you know, you see that fish with the ixtis on there, and, you know, you put the church, the Bible, the, the, the faithfulness to Christ, the zeal, and outward purported extravagant faithfulness for, for Christ. You put one of those Ixis fish on the back of somebody's car and bam, put all that stuff together and you've got yourself a member of the Christian religion. Even more, God's Word, as we all know, offers many prescriptions and proscriptions, more detailed ingredients of the Christian religion. And we're going to look at four examples. I think we're going to be okay on time. I know I've said that many times in the past and kind of let you down. Um, Four examples, we're just going to look at them very briefly. Um, Directly speaking to the matter of religion, we can turn to the first chapter of James. And so I'm just going to read, as opposed to reading from the common English Bible, as I have traditionally in the past, I'm going to try to get myself more to the program here with the the church on Melrose here and go with the new international version here. Uh, Starting at verse 26, this is 26 and 27, James 1, 26, 27. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Another example. We'll come back to this, okay? I'm just sort of just kind of just running through four examples here moving through four examples. Zacchaeus, very well-known encounter. Zacchaeus, Luke chapter 19. And again, reading from the NIV, this is verses 8 and 9. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. There's actually a lot of stuff there. There's quite a bit of subtext. But uh, you get the idea. Sort of the penitence, right? The penitence. Similar project with uh, the so-called rich young man. This is recounted in a number of places. But um, so we have this encounter with the rich rich young man. Uh, A wealthy young fellow asks Christ... um, How can he achieve eternal life, the rich young fellow? Uh, Keep the commandments, Christ says. I'm paraphrasing here. Yep, done that. Uh, What do I still lack? And we could just pick it up here. um, Matthew 19.21. The culmination of the encounter, essentially. Well, the, the culmination of the encounter, but not the culmination of this particular story. Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And we can find this not only in Matthew 19, but in two of the other evangelical books, uh, Luke and Mark, Luke chapter 18, Mark chapter 10, 
very similar uh, recounting. Lastly here, as far as the examples go, uh, and Damon spoke on this last, last Sunday, the, uh, his epic series on meditations. It was part six of uh, meditation on Trinity, a uh, very well-known uh, verse uh, or passage in the Bible. Uh, what, might, uh, what some might think of one of the strongest uh, prohibitions in the New Covenant uh, actually is not a prohibition at all, really, but um, John 14.6. John 14.6. Okay, there's, a, there's the backstory here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <clears throat> that, that's like one of the hallmarks, right, of the Christian faith. That and maybe John 3.16. I don't know, like John was like the CMO of the Christian faith. He could come up with those little punchy two-liners, you know. Um, between those two... Uh, that we would very much identify with those. Even people who are not believers really identify with those two. Maybe not identify, but are familiar with those two passages from John. Uh, it is very certainly true that I think we all enjoy, and some might even say we require, uh, very nice, easy categorizations. So uh, I know we have um, a number of people in this congregation that are very skilled both in breadth and depth um, with entertainment, medium, media, excuse me, uh, television, cinema, uh, animation, and so on. And uh, I'm not an expert in any of that stuff, but I have spent uh, more than my fair share of time in front of a television. And uh, I can tell you for sure that if a storyteller wants to convey that a character on a show uh, is, say, just for example, I'm just making this as an example, it could be anything, but just say a scientist, right? How do you do that, right? Well, it's the, same, it's the same setup, right? You take the person, you put them in their natural environment, so put them in a lab, throw a, a, a white lab coat on them, and, uh, and then maybe if it's like a retro piece, like sometime in the 20th century, you'll put a pocket protector on them, some thick bottle-bottom glasses, and boom, within two seconds, right, you're, the audience knows, it's like, oh, that's a scientist right there. You know, you don't need to say a word, and you don't need to know anything about that person at all. But you know that person is a scientist. So these sorts of categorizations, especially visual ones, you can do the same thing in literature, same idea in literature. Um, so now, as far as church, Bible, passion or a fervor for faithfulness to Christ, profession for the belief in God, and then we've got all, so we have these trappings, uh, of the Christian religion, we have all these prescriptions and proscriptions that we can find in God's word. They, they sort of comprise uh, sort of like a game plan for the practitioner of the Christian religion. Or if, like, if you don't like a game plan, like a playbook. That's our playbook. We've got, we got our church. We've got our Bible or Bibles. Um, you know, we've got zeal. You know, we've got fervor on fire for Christ. Um, and that we've got all these rules and, and regulations. Some say, yes, you do this, and then some say, no, you don't do that. And that's our playbook. That's the playbook of the Christian religion. Let's uh, reflect back uh, on uh, James's perfect religion. James's perfect religion. This was chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. So let us imagine a zealous practitioner of this perfect religion that James describes. A widow shows up uh, needing a loaf of bread, and so, of course, our devotee to this perfect religion springs into action, 
hustles up a loaf of bread. It's like, bam, here you go, widow. And especially if she's got an orphan with her, it's maybe two loaves of bread. And boom, just right there. Just like, just powers through, delivers. That's it. That's our devotee to James's perfect religion. Then, of course, as we all know, uh, an, say an invalid or an elderly person shows up to our devotee's place on the brink of starvation. And what does our practitioner of James's perfect religion do? You're not a window, widow, you're not an orphan, you just kick rocks, just go down the road. Because if I give something to you, that's going to cut into other people's actions, so just get out of here. Right? That's what James is clearly talking about, right? Obviously. I've got to be careful with sarcasm here, but I don't think I have to worry about that with this congregation. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> back to Zacchaeus. We'll revisit Zacchaeus. Of course, we all know that what uh, Christ uh, really meant to say uh, was, uh, hey, you know Zacchaeus, Good thing you did all that stuff, you know, uh, give, give half your money to the poor and then, you know, promise to make things right with the people you've wronged. Because if you hadn't, buddy, you, salvation, no way. <clears throat> Likewise with the rich young man, Christ, of course, never tells the rich young man that if he doesn't sell his stuff, then he is out. Never happens. That conversation never happens. And then, as far as our references here, well, we have one more after this, but this is John 14:6. No one can come to the Father but through me, is the essence of the passage. One of the great hallmarks of the Christian religion, reputedly divisive for sure, uh, that was a theme from last Sunday in Damon's sermon, reputedly divisive. Could you imagine you're talking to a colleague and uh, you say, hey, you know, next week, week we're having a, an office party for uh, Josephine Smith. And your colleague says, um, oh, yeah, me and Josephine, we, we go way, way back. We're good friends. And you're like, oh, that's great. You know, I wanted to get her something. You know, what, what um, sort of uh, professional aspirations does she have? And then your colleague says, got no idea. And so you say, oh, okay, well, what sort of hobbies does she enjoy? Your friend says, your colleague says, haven't the faintest. Uh, maybe, well, it's kind of strange, okay, kind of weird, but okay, how about any, I don't know, academic interests? Academic, what, what sort of academic interests does Josephine Smith have? And uh, your colleague says, beats me. How can anyone begin to develop a relationship with God without recognizing his essential redemptive character manifest through his son? To a religious Christian, John 14:6, like we just talked about a minute ago, is a hallmark of their membership. Right up there, like we suggested with uh, John 3:16, right? Big, big, just like stamp that, right? Just stamp that right down there. Okay, Christian religion, boom. John 14, 6, 3, 16. And yet, to someone who understands the essence of God's character through the redemptive project of his son, the passage is completely mundane, right? We already know that. We already know you can't understand God unless you understand the essential property of his character, that he would redeem what he made through his son. It's like superfluous. Right? But it is also ha happens to be one of the most divisive passages. I think it's true. I think what Damon said last week is true. Okay, okay. So, okay, Dave. 
so I'm, I'm projecting it. So, so uh, one can't be a good Christian unless they're affiliated with some sort of structure with a big cross on it. <clears throat> so we all know that uh, early followers of Christ basically met wherever they could. I mean, that's sort of a historical record. Wherever they could, people's houses. And the cross icon that we're very familiar with now probably wasn't even around for the first couple centuries. doesn't really show up in the historical record. Okay, not a big deal. Got to have your Bible, right? Well, so obviously, and again, we all know this, the Bible you're looking at right now uh, in its current translation is actually probably a very recent creation. Uh, Many believers in past ages didn't even have access to God's Word, God's written Word. Okay, okay, so scripture and churches and culture have evolved. Okay, but surely you can't be a Christian without unyielding faithfulness to Christ. Peter denied Christ three times. Okay, all right, okay. So Peter was having a bad day, okay? Quite forgivable given the circumstances and the tumult. And I agree, quite forgivable. But someone who doesn't even believe in God? They're surely destined for hell. Paul did not believe in God. Not only did he not believe in God for much of his adult life, or a good part of his adult life, he actively persecuted Christians. When someone takes it upon themselves to condemn someone to hell, or if you want to view this from the other side of things, the other side of the doorway, when someone claims that anyone, for example, who doesn't believe that we're the result of Darwinian evolution is a fool, I have the same reaction. What a very, very religious person. Almost done. Let's return to the rich young man. Again, second reference back. How much examination has been made concerning the camel passing through the eye of a needle? How much examination? Volumes, conversation after conversation with this one Christian or that one Christian, and yet such rel- relatively, excuse me, relatively little examination about the passage that follows, right? Not immediately, but follows. With God, all things are possible, which, by the way, resolves everything. But we don't like it. We don't like that. I'm using we. I do this. I do this, and I know I should just take a little. Di- di- question here. I'm using we, the the plural, first person plural or objective plural, uh, or you, plural. I'm using it in the abstract, okay? I'm not saying, okay, all of us right here. I'm just using we as in people at large. Uh, We do not like it. It is viscerally unappealing to have that closing remark, with God all things are possible. It is disempowering. It threatens our playbook. We love the camel passing through the eye of a needle. What rich and endless speculation that fires, right? Okay, okay, so no, this is, this is what's going on here. You can't possibly get a camel through like a sewing needle eye. And then someone comes along, oh, well, they're not talking about a sewing needle eye. They're actually talking about the entranceway into a city. And it's like, they are? Well, why didn't they actually just come out and say that? But okay, okay, so it's an entranceway to the city, so the camel just walks right through. And it's like, no, but it's really low. 
It's like they make low entrance ways to the city. Okay, so okay, so it's tough. Okay, well, what you do is you have the camel sort of like crouch down, and then you have to push him, and then you can get him through. But it's really hard, but it can be done. And it's like, no, 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 I got it. What you do is you make a cart, put wheels on it, and then have the camel sort of just like lie down, and then you just wheel it right through there. So no problem. And it's like, and they're just like, oh, you guys are idiots, man. You just got one of those midget camels. Just get a midget camel. I mean, they're not the easiest thing to find, but they, they, they have them. They're out there. You just get the, it just walks right through there. So it can be done. And then, of course, somebody goes on, you guys are idiots. They're talking about the Anunnaki, right? The giant gods, right? They, their sewing equipment was so huge that, you know, you could easily get like a baby camel through the eye of one of their sewing needles. And then, then someone else comes along and says, like, no, no, no. They're talking about the Nephilim. They're not talking about the gods, the children of the gods, right? Those were the giants that had clothes. They had to take care of their clothes, but the gods didn't have to do it. So anyway, uh, what rich and endless speculation. We love that stuff. I do. I love that stuff. You can just dissect and tear apart. We can bulk up our playbook, right? Our playbook, our game plan. Just bulk it up. All that stuff in there. But with the whole, uh, the whole business, the closing resolution with God, all things are possible. It's like, oh, big whoop whoop, God. Ah, good for you. Okay, yeah, you can do anything. Yeah, that whole thing, you know, with God, all things are possible. It's probably just an afterthought. I bet, you know, Jesus was probably eating a falafel and he just felt like he had to come up with like something punchy to say before he took the last bite. So he just threw that with God. All things are possible. Probably just an, probably just an afterthought there. I have surrounded myself with all the fixtures and accoutrements of my religion. And now you're telling me that that schlep rock that lives down the street never done nothing for nobody, lives like the devil, that schlep rock may have their name written in the book of life? Outrageous. Outrageous. Not in my playbook. That ain't happening. Not in my playbook. Not in my religion. Okay, so what's the point? This is it. We're almost done here. So what is this? What are you doing, Dave? What is this? Uh, is this uh, sermon intended to be some sort of like uh, caution against self piety or something um, or maybe a caution against legalism or, or maybe it's like some sort of you're trying to hearken back to like uh, early Christian mysticism and it's like it's all spirit and you know material stuff it's like oh, it's not that important and really the best answer to, the, to those I mean I totally get the sentiments I, I totally see that sort of being familiar with my own words here I get the sentiment but no that's actually not the point here one of the things we know for sure I think we should, should know for sure, I think we do, I'm fairly confident, is that everything has a purpose. So, me and you, this building, uh, God's written word that's provided, our cars, and I would like to think that uh, by God's will for the better, so all things have a purpose. All things have a purpose. So, just to close it out, I will conclude with a single statement. It's kind of a long sentence that I feel encapsulates the point, but I don't know. This is it. There are times when it becomes very clear to me that it must, at times, be clear to others that there is something silly about trying to make a religion out of truth. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak and thank you for the privilege of fellowshipping here and with wonderful people. Thank you for our health, for provisioning us with such a luxury of not only things that we need, but things that we want. Give us grateful hearts and forgiving hearts. Forgive our sins, even though we may not even know and we likely don't know when they're happening. But you know and you have the power of forgiveness. Thank you for every day. Thank you for every breath. Be with us. Empower us. Walk with us in this coming week. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.